0: Light trigger warning today, folks. This podcast deals with death. Hello, I'm Kay Dreyer.
1: And I'm Greg Spencer. Always happy to talk about food regardless of the context.
0: And we are Cool with a K, the fun and factual podcast. And today, we are dealing with funeral foods.
1: And grief foods. Anything that you want to eat during a hard time in your life.
0: Absolutely. So, eating at the time of someone's death is a near-universal human activity. Although many cultures respect a fasting time immediately after a person's death, And it might seem counter-counterintuitive, because one very common side effect reported with grief and loss is a loss of appetite. And we will get into some science behind that in just a bit, but first, grief food. What exactly is that? Well, the name sort of explains it. Grief food describes a vast variety of dishes that are served, prepared, and offered to loved ones, family, or friends of the recently deceased. They can range from deeply religious items served with religious or symbolic significance to hearty, easy-to-heat-and-serve dishes merely offered to the family to make the days and weeks following a little bit easier on them. There is literally no end to what can be provided as grief food, but there has been research, at least psychological probing, into the effects of diet on the grieving and how food has a psychological and social effect and benefits on those who ingest it.
1: So let us feed your mind with a factual chicken soup for the soul. Uncool with a K, that is the way.
0: So let's get into the history. When we engage in larger-scale communal eating after death, we are tapping into an ancient human practice. Seriously, it's from the Stone Age. Various news outlets, such as the BBC and scientific journals like Current Anthropology, among others, reported on a 12,000-year-old cave site in Israel where there was evidence of mass burials, but also of special burials that included feasts. The researchers knew this because the remains of the feast were found along with the remains of the body. The human group belonged to the Naftian culture, who lived in the region from roughly 15,000 to 11,000 years ago. In this case, researchers believed the female buried and celebrated over must have been of great importance to the group, as items found with the body included what researchers believed to be shamanistic ritual items. There were also six stages to, or layers to the burial the last of which was the waste of a massive feast. So theories on this may have been that the leftovers of the feast were there to weigh down the burial site, sort of fill it in, which should tell you how massive the feast was. The tribe considered unique for the time, as many other peoples in the area were unsettled bands of hunters and gatherers, the the group appeared to be at least somewhat more settled. So you might be wondering, what were they eating? It was a massive amount of food by any standards, including today. Things that were found in the burial site that were food items were fish, mountain gazelles, red foxes, pine martens, snakes, hares, roasted tortoises that appeared to be about 44 pounds of meat just from the tortoises. One article said that it must have taken months to collect that much food, and at first I wondered how could they keep it fresh, and then I realized they were probably catching things alive, keeping them alive in advance, just to slaughter them prior when the feast time arrived. But perhaps we have no real way of knowing. Regardless of how exactly or where exactly the practice originated from, it's really hard to tell. But... It seems to have tapped into some shared collective human consciousness. Almost every culture and every society has some type of funeral practice that involves food, fasting, breaking the fast, or communally eating.
1: Quick side note, grief stinks. It's a hollowness, an emptiness. But on the other side is a flood of emotions and sometimes getting started in the morning is the hardest thing. So bring breakfast, or a late morning breakfast, to someone that needs some help. It's a great way to be supportive, and also get your grieving friend up and start their day. But breakfast food is different globally. A quick primer on that petite dejeuner. In Japan, a very common breakfast food is natto on rice, which is a fermented soybean, so much so that people will eat it even if they don't like it because they know it's healthy for them. In India, you can have appam for breakfast, which is a nice uh, rice flour pancake, very spicy or savory. You can go either direction with that. In Turkey, something I just heard about from uh, doing research for this podcast was the tarhana, which is a thick soup, a yogurt-based soup, made with cracked wheat and vegetables. If you want to go to Morocco, a nice tagine would do well for breakfast. It's a slow-cooked lamb stew. In Cuba, you can have tostada, which is this very buttery baked bread that you can dip in coffee. In Spain, if I was there right now, I'd be having churros and chocolate for breakfast, let's be honest. (laughs) Are you a fan of churros? Okay no but Ah, that doesn't mean that i don't i know
0: i know it's terrible because they are delicious they're just not my particular thing but there's a million other culinary things from that area that i truly adore uh i love flan i love tres leches i am a huge fan of trying the foods from different regions and cultures i have so much respect for the history and the culture that goes into food from all of our walks of life
1: oh i agree it's like gastronomically traveling the world what would you argue that Canadian breakfast food would consist of?
0: Maple syrup?
1: Holy mackinaw, you got that one right, Joe Bowen.
0: You know, breakfast is delicious, absolutely, but what about funerals? A
1: great example of both a funeral food and a grief food are Victorian funeral biscuits. Originating in the Yorkshire region of England, they're a takeoff on a moggy cake, which is a ginger and treacle type cake. But Victorian funeral biscuits differ because they're a lot thinner, they're crispier, like a cookie, and they're served with a heart stamped in the center of them, often to be given out at funerals after the service. Another great example is the Irish wake cake. This is a very sweet cake with vanilla, lemon zest, currants, buttermilk, all rolled into a fluffy batter and turned into a cake. It has Celtic origins, and it's meant to be served at an Irish wake, when people stand around keeping watch over the deceased until they can be buried. Irish wake cake is versatile and can be served for dinner, for brunch, or for breakfast.
0: What we eat around the world for breakfast does change wildly, and it's no different with funerals, because what we eat around the world for funerals uh, varies greatly.
1: Take it away, Kay. If
0: you're in the North American South, fried chicken and macaroni and cheese might be brought to your house. Lasagna is also very popular in communities, as well as a variety of casseroles in the American Midwest. In New Orleans, jambalaya is very popular, and in Utah, Idaho, and nearby Mormon communities, funeral potatoes, which look absolutely delicious, are a classic staple. Amish communities are reported to bake a sweet, raisin-filled fi- funeral pie because it is easily accessible ingredients and they taste delicious and they're very shelf-stable. In Sweden, sometimes only a drink is served to the morning family, often a traditional beverage called Glog, which appears to be a spiced wine with bourbon or rum, oranges and warming spices. Jewish traditions are quite fascinating and unique, but one of their food-related ones is for the family to have a meal after the funeral called sudat havara, meaning comfort food, which can often include boiled eggs. Ashes are often added to the eggs when they prepare them. An Egyptian Jewish tradition is to prepare hamin eggs, which is to slow-cook the eggs, which can take up to 18 hours to cook, and are often cooked in coffee and yellow onion skins to enhance the flavors.
1: In Islamic tradition, a food called mansif is often served, which is a lamb cooked in a yogurt sauce served with rice. And it's a communal dish. It's a symbolic gesture of togetherness. If you can sit and eat as a group, then you can talk as a group.
0: Absolutely. And we're going to get into the psychology of that in a little bit. In Russia and Eastern Europe, Orthodox Christian rituals include eating koliva or koliva, which is a sweetened seed and grain mixture blessed by a priest at the funeral service. And although not directly a funeral food, Mexico and Central America have their Day of the Dead and prepare a sweet bread known as pan del morte. In Korea, a spicy beef stew and kimchi soups are often prepared as a traditional funeral food, as well as the practice of putting three spoonfuls of rice into the mouth of the deceased. In Estonia and parts of Eastern Europe, mourners are given pastries and cabbage rolls stuffed with rice and meat at funeral receptions.
1: The idea of pouring some whiskey out for your deceased friends, or as Tupac said, pouring one out for the homies, is a practice that originates from ancient Egypt and is over 3,000 years old.
0: Oh man, really? That's sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, In India, there are many, many varying funeral traditions, but one of the very common ones is the grieving family to abstain from meat for a period of time, during which vegetable-based dishes and meat-free samosas are often brought to the family. There are many, many tribes in Africa with a mountain of rich and vibrant rituals unique to all of their individual cultural backgrounds, Uh, and many of them involve in detailed sets of instructions for removing and preparing the body to leave this world and securely enter the next. For some research I found suggests that there can be animal sacrifices to honor the dead that are then prepared into food and offered to the family. That actually made me think, wow, how meaningful. If I were to go get the ingredients to make a meat casserole to provide for a family that it just lost somebody. That's uh, that's one thing, but imagine if I had to go out and hunt that animal to then provide the meat for that casserole. Like, what a gesture that would be for the family.
1: As they say, always applaud people for their effort, not particularly the results. It's nice when the results meet the effort, but it's the time and effort that you put in to help others.
0: That key ingredient is part of the process of honoring the deceased with that meal, so I thought it actually added a really interesting layer to the funeral ritual. Very much so. We have a bit more for you still on why we eat around funerals, but first, we have a short song break.
2: The sorrow I feel when you passed on is a testament to you, and now that you're gone, your words are an echo, I'll never let go, because love is eternal, forever and true. I tried not to think, in, I tried not to drink, and air pulled from my chest, love ignored and repressed. The letter addressed as I was leaving the nest, and you knew that it's true how much I love you. I repeat your stories, I laugh, I cry feel so guilty, guilty that I did survive. but like you said, get out of your head. It's the living that must honor the dead For everything you fought and for everything you taught and no one is gone until they're forgotten. That was awesome.
0: So let's talk a little bit about why we do eat around funerals. Many articles have been written on the subject. The main article I referenced for this also commented on various types of traditional funeral meals. So some were very traditional, and the food being prepared matched, the, for example, the clothes or the colors of the flag of the family's country of origin. Um, and one of the quotes I pulled was, Sometimes the signs of ethnicity are subtler than that. Uh, The co-author of Being Dead is No Excuse, the official Southern lady's guide to hosting the perfect funeral, uh, Hyperion 2005, says that white and black Southerners take different approaches to funeral meals. The quote goes on, the African-American community does repasts beautifully, they say. They take time to prepare wonderful food. We white Southerners kind of do it all in a rush. That's why our funeral food tends to be like casseroles and jello salads. Things that you can put together Real fast with ingredients you have on hand. I think that's why my mother always had a casserole in the freezer, just to have something ready in case somebody died.
1: That's morbid and practical at the same time. Yeah,
0: morbid and practical, I agree. <laughs> One opinion from this reference article comes from Dr. Holly Perguson, a bereavement specialist and director of research for the Center of Psycho Oncology and Palliative Care at the Dana Farber Cancer Institute at Harvard Medical School. Feeding the grieving has a fundamental aim. She quotes. You can't be noshing when something is chasing you. C.S. Lewis, she quotes, was right when he wrote, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. Grief triggers the fight or flight mechanism, they go on. Your body's in a state of alarm. It's like something's chasing you. When grieving people say they don't feel like eating, it's because their body is prioritizing survival. She goes on to say, post-funeral meals, the food brought to the family and the neighbors offer emotional support. But we do these things also out of a basic human sense of people who have survived the death of someone they love and are going to need nourishment. They've been depleted by caregiving and bereavement. Grieving people must eat.
1: In Swinburne University in Melbourne, Australia, there was a study done that indicated that it's possibly just the chewing mechanism that will make you calm. In this study, people that were chewing gum while multitasking in a stressful environment actually had recorded lower levels of cortisol and increased alertness.
0: That's really fascinating, actually. In conclusion, if you want to drop off food for a loved one who's experienced a loss, here are some general good rules to practice. Inform them ahead of time and schedule a visit check for dietary restrictions, leave them with a list of the ingredients, make the food have easy instructions, something that they can simply reheat or even serve cold, provide a note of condolence with the food, and use containers that you do not intend to ever get back.
1: If you give it, I've learned, don't expect it returned.
0: Another general favorite is to provide groceries or simple grocery staples. And that's about all we have for funeral foods. I will end by having one charming anecdote. Uh, When I posted on social media about a a recent death in my family, uh, a chef that I worked with over a decade ago wrote me on Facebook and said, let me cook for you. There is something essential in feeding people during times of crisis. It's my go-to thought whenever I see anybody who's in any kind of discomfort. There is something life-infirming about eating. It's something the dead don't get to do anymore and it's a reminder that we're alive.
1: So you do you and live your best life.
0: And remember, no matter how hot it is,
1: don't forget to stay cool.
2: Spend your cash and spend your time. Respect the love amid no crime. And all the while you seem to find your way. Cash your chips, redeem the check. Fill your coffers, invest in tech. And all the while you seem to find your way. Your cell phone, And battles lost and battles won The dream of battles yet to come And when it's all just said and done To relax and have some fun My favorite podcast has begun Cool with a K With K and